0: Uh, you know, uh, there's, there was a story that Pastor Taylor talked last week. I mean, he did such a great job in that message last week. I loved it. And uh, one of the things is he talked about, do you, do you remember the story he told about the Airbnb? Yeah. The disappointment he had? If you weren't here, you got to go watch that, go back and listen to that message just to hear that story. It's pretty gross and funny. Uh, and anyway, so they, they left that. Airbnb, because it, was, it wasn't clean enough for him, and it was a problem, and it was, it was pretty nasty. But he didn't say, he didn't finish the story. They left after the first night, and guess where they went? <laughs> My house. <laughs> and uh, so for the last 10 days, they've been at our house, and it's been a lot of fun, and uh, really enjoyed having our three grandkids. The oldest, of course, is seven, Hayden. The middle one's Jude, four, and the youngest is two, Lennon, and uh, they came over, and we live on a piece of property that is um, surrounded by woods, and so um, you can't see the neighbor's houses. You can hear them when they're outside playing and having a good time, and one neighbor, uh, we we have about a 30-foot piece of property in between our properties it's all heavily wooded, and so you really can't see over there. And I was down picking blackberries for, for the kids, and uh, Tina was going to make a dessert. And So I was picking those real quick, and the kids were up playing up by the house. And, and while I was in, I could hear something running around, or making noise in the woods. I thought, oh, maybe there's a deer or an elk or something back there. And, but it, was, it, was, it would make some noise, and it would stop. And I'd look, and there would be nothing there then I realized it's the neighbor kids and they were spying on me right and I thought oh this would be great I'll go tell Hayden and Jude to come down here because they're the kids are about the same age and so um I went up and I said Hayden Jude there's somebody crawling around in the woods I think it's some kids oh and they got really excited they go let's go get them let's go find them so we, I go, wait, wait for Papa. Papa will take you down there. So we walk down there and I said, be real quiet. We're walking down there, and we're getting close to the woods and we can hear them re- wrestling around in there and they could hear them and they're like really quiet. All of a sudden, Jude yells out, we wanted to say hi. <laughs> Come out so we can say hi. <laughs> in four-year-old voice. And uh, so cute, and and so. But Hayden, she's seven. She knows enough to be a little bit nervous, and so she's looking. She's trying to make eye contact, or trying to see where they're coming from, and they're getting closer and closer. And all of a sudden, they're there, and she's standing out in kind of this field area, and they look at her and they go, "Hayden," and she goes, "Brody," <laughs> yes. It was one of her classmates, right? And it was really interesting how excited she got once she knew that she knew one of the kids that was over there. And it shifted how she viewed approaching the woods and how she viewed approaching these kids. Because at first, her picture was maybe they're not good people. Maybe... They're bullies, or maybe, and she had all kinds of choices to choose what she thought they could be. Of course, me saying a few things about, let's be quiet and sneak up, probably caused her to have a little bit of nervousness. But nonetheless, it reminded me of you and I, and how we approach God. Because sometimes the way that we've grown up, or the things that people have said, to us about God have shaped how we view God. And we have this, every single person cast God into a role in their life. Some people see God as a loving father. Others see him as the healer. Some see him as friend. Some see him as judge or king or lord. Some see him as peacemaker. Others see him as non-existent. Somebody that picks and chooses who gets healed and who doesn't. Somebody that didn't stop the Holocaust. And so, however they view God, because of their experience or the information they choose to focus on, Begins to shape a picture in their mind of how and who God is, how he operates, and what role he plays in their life. Some of it comes from their upbringing, some of it comes from their church that they went to, or the lack of church that they went to, or didn't go to. Some of it's because of ways that we've had disappointments in our lives. And when we get multiple disappointments or we have inconveniences, we begin to assign God to a role that may or may not have been a role that God had accepted. And so we, we cast God into a role in the drama of our life from a very young age. And it changes over time. But not all roles that we have God cast into are ones that he's agreed with or ones that he fulfills the way that you think he should. But whatever view of God that you have or role that you think he plays in your life, that is the God that shapes you. So we begin to shape the God that we see by the scriptures that we read, the emphasis that our church may have, the conversations we have with our spouse or with our parents. And all this information... Maybe a family friend or a family relative comes into the home and has a different view than yours, and it begins to shape the view of your home. And, or the view of your God. And then as that happens, that God is what shapes you. So we shape our God, and that God shapes us. Does that make sense? Now, some of the roles that we put God in are, are really good. They're very helpful. And, and so we know that God is, Jesus specifically, is the greatest wisdom teacher of all time. He's the God of wisdom. Some of us are expecting God to do things that we're supposed to be handling ourselves. God gives us wisdom. He's filled the scriptures full of wisdom. And when we're asking God to do stuff that wisdom will walk us through or help us prevent or keep us from, when we, when we have the ability to fix things and to improve things or to repent of things or to rethink things or to endure things, and we take the responsibility of that and we put it on God, we're casting him into a role that is really our role. Now, he has a part to play in it because he leads us and guides us and directs us. He provides scripture. He provides wisdom. He gives us the peace of God that surpasses understanding. And so when we begin to cast him into a role that he brings us peace when we need peace, He brings us hope when we need hope. He brings us endurance when we need endurance. He brings us guidance when we need it. He reminds us of things that we've learned years ago. All of these things. He gives us the morals to live by. He gives us the motives to have. And he begins to shape us with those things. And as he shapes us, we co-create a life that he's always wanted us to have, okay? So, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about you, and I was thinking about how many of you are experiencing a lot of challenging times. Some of you were represented up here in front when it came to physical health or mental health. Others are experiencing some real challenging times with family members, relationships, um, political things, social things, things that are going on in our communities, families being separated and stuff along those lines, and we we, we have all that stuff going on. And what's is unfortunate is that sometimes with those things that we're not turning to the Lord for those, to help guide our process through these things. We're waiting for God to do things that God has for us to do. And so, I think one of the things that we have to ask ourselves is who do you say God is? What role do you have him cast into? There was a situation with Peter and Jesus. Um, Peter was named Simon at the time. In Matthew chapter 60, if you'd look there, there's a story of Jesus is with his disciples and he goes to this place called... um, Caesarea, Caesarea, Philippi, and uh, this is a place where there's a lot of idol worship, and the Roman gods were worshipped there, and there was a place called the Gates of Hell, and or Hades, and the Gates of Hell was a place where there was a cave where there was fresh spring water that would come up seasonally in certain times of the year and rise up and bubble out, and fresh water would come out, and it would go to certain places and water farmlands and things along those lines, but they used this as a place to worship idols, and one of them was the God of the underworld, the God of death, okay? Now, I got some pictures of some gates. First of all, when I go to Jerusalem in January with a big team from our church, we're going to see this gate right here. And these walls are very thick, and people actually can live in these walls and do because they're very thick, and they have big walls. And the these walls have been there for thousands of years, and they protect the city. And gates are designed to keep people out that shouldn't be out. It's not. They're not designed to keep people in. They're designed to keep the enemy out so that if the city gets attacked, the gates will be strong and protect the people. Okay? And so these gates right here are shut right now, and the people are waiting for the gates to open so they can come in and tour around the, the city. This is a modern-day picture, of course. Um. <clears throat> And so when Jesus said that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, I mean, yeah, against the church, in this passage that I'm going to read you in a minute, he wasn't talking about these gates, but gates were familiar because they walked in and out of them all the time, and they knew what they were for. He was referring to the gates of Hades, which is in this next picture. This is a picture of a cave, You can see the places where they sacrificed and worship idols and the water would come up out of those cenotes down below and rise up high. If the water came at a certain time of the year and it flowed, it meant the gods were pleased. If it didn't come, it meant you were cursed and could create a lot more problems than just being, you know, not having water to drink or to, to water with. And so there were gates that they would put in front of there so people wouldn't go down there and access the water. And they put like a taboo on it that that's where the devil is or that's where evil is, is down in that hole. They didn't want people to drink that water when it wasn't time and they didn't want them polluting it. They didn't want there to be a problem, so they put a taboo on it. But this is where they would sacrifice the gods, and when Jesus was talking to them, all of them were afraid of these gods, which these gods don't even exist. They're made up, but they were holding people prisoner and captive from the water and the freedom that comes. This is why Jesus is described as living water, the water of life, okay? And so, if you go to this chapter, Matthew chapter 16, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets, okay? Verse 15, then he asked them, but who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? This was a really important thing. Because depending on what role these disciples cast Jesus into would determine the God that shaped them. And it would also determine how they looked at what they were just standing in front of, which was these idols' places. Okay? They were all familiar with it. They were so familiar with it, many of them had had their children sacrificed in this location. Okay? So, and if they were called on to uh, sacrifice one of their children or one of their virgin daughters, as gross as that seems, take their life on these altars. If they didn't do it, they themselves would be killed. Stoned or beheaded. Or some other way of death. So you can imagine how freaked out they were and how they stayed away from those gates. Unless the gates were open, they didn't go near it. Okay? They stayed away. They couldn't access the living water. But Jesus says it like this. He goes on to say, Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock." See, He changed his name. Why did he change his name? He wanted him to visualize himself differently. He wanted him to see himself differently. These guys were all held captive to the belief that the gates of Hades actually existed right there and that those gods were real and that they needed to be appeased. Even though many of them were Jewish believers, they were people that still were held captive by the fears of this world and the culture in which they lived in. And so he says, You are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church. What does church mean? I will build my called out ones. Called out ones. You guys are called out people. There's a whole bunch of people this morning that will not step foot in the church because they haven't been called out they haven't received the call they haven't received the promptings that every human being gets but you have chosen that so you're a part of the church or the called out ones you are seeking to learn and to know and to have a relationship with god you've been called out and look at look what it says this upon this rock i will build my called out ones what's the rock the revelation that Jesus is Lord, that He is the Messiah, that God is real, and there is one God and one God alone, that needs to be served. Not a bunch of gods that we have to be afraid of or be afraid, you know sacrificed to, and all that kind of stuff. That's all dead, but it was holding them captive. Some of us are held captive. even though we're following Jesus, we're still held captive by old things that have happened. We're being held captive by fear of what's going on in our society today. We're being held captive by certain kind of ideologies and frameworks of thinking that keep us a victim and keep us held back. But Jesus wants to set you free and let you give you access to that living water. And the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. So, what is Jesus saying here? Look at, look at this. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rocking upon this rock, I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. We are living in a day where there's a lot of powers from hell trying to conquer the church, trying to separate the church, trying to wipe out the church, trying to snuff out the church, trying to deconstruct the church, trying to, to belittle the church, make it not necessary, all kinds of things. And when I say church, this is the only place that you go, like a church building where you're gathering, or in a group of people where you gather. When believers gather together, that is the church. Because the called out ones gather together. And when they gather together, there is a force that takes place. But if they're held captive, thinking that God doesn't work the same as he did back in those days, if they're held captive to thoughts of, well, society is changing and culture is changing, and so we have to move past the church or move past religion or move past Christianity. These are all things that are holding us back. And the gates of hell are is prevailing against the church in some cases because people have forgotten who they say that Jesus is. And so, when we look at this passage, we need to recognize that it's time for us to know, personally, who do you say God is? Who do you say Jesus is? Jesus said it like this, who do you say I am? So I'm here to ask you, are you prepared For the attacks of the enemy. Have you fortified your gates? Have you held back from busting through Hades gates? Because what God has called us to do is not just sit behind some gates somewhere. He's caused us to penetrate the gates of hell. Because there's people that are held bondage and held captive by ideologies and ways of thinking and harmful ways of living that you need to penetrate. You got family members that you need to penetrate those walls that hell has built around them, ways of thinking that have held them and kept them from the living water that Jesus has for them. We got to get in there and get that water. And the scripture tells us that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. You are the called out ones. Jesus went specifically to the place where they were sacrificing idols. He wasn't afraid. He wasn't nervous about going there. But he was intentional about what he did there. Some of us are facing some things in our lives where we're having to go toe to toe with some pretty evil things. And you just need to know that if he is the Messiah, if he is, if he is somebody that God put in your spirit, to be Lord and Savior of your life, if you have that revelation like Peter did, you don't have to be afraid of it. You can go boldly where no man has gone before, if you will. Do you see what I'm saying? And so what I feel that we need to do is we need to get back to knowing who God is in our lives. Now, there's a difference between believing cognitively. Some of you are trying to get all of your understanding with God with your brain. You're studying theology and you're trying to get it all straight. And you think that you're going to have something that is powerful when you get it all worked out in your mind and you get all the right theology in the right place and you think that everything's going to go okay. But you got to understand, it's more than just your head. It's also your heart. Look at Romans chapter nine, or 10 in verse, verse 9. It says this. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, okay, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So, there's two things. Declare that Jesus is Lord. When you declare that Jesus is Lord, it's you're talking, you're speaking. When was the last time you told somebody about your faith? When was the last time you talked to another Christian about your faith? When was the last time you shared your desire to pray for somebody? Okay, these are things that we do out of our mouth. And when we declare that he is the Lord, when we say, yeah, you know, there is a lot of stuff going on. Yeah, there is a lot of unjust unjust things going on around the world. Yeah, there's a lot of wars and rumors of war. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of problems with other countries. And there's a lot of problems with pandemics. And there's a lot of problems with a lot of evil that is going on in our world right now. But I do know this, that Jesus is Lord. I do know that God will have the final say. And I know that he will not leave us or forsake us. That's declaring that Jesus is Lord. Do you see what I'm saying? So we have to be able to declare. So we believe in our heart, or we declare with our mouth, and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. That's how we begin this salvation process, this thing that that keeps us from going that downward spiral. Okay? Keep on going. Verse 10 says, "For it's by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it's by openly declaring your faith that you're saved. This word saved means delivered from your enemies, delivered from that which is trying to snuff you out, delivered from these ideologies, from these idols that are trying to hold you in fear and hold you captive. Folks, we got a lot of Christians that are held captive right now. They're afraid to say stuff, they're afraid to even admit that they're Christians. But listen, it's when we declare with our mouth and believe in our heart that we see the salvation or the deliverance of our souls from the hands of the enemy, from the destruction of the enemy. As the scripture tells us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile alike are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I want to put this thought in your mind right now as we wrap this up. It's time to call on the Lord. It's time to call on the Lord. When I was a kid, we used to go calling on our friends and our family members. On Sundays after church, we would get in the car and my dad would just start driving and we'd go, he'd show us things all kinds of sites around Seattle and Tacoma. And we would pull up to one of my cousins' house and we'd say, Well, we're gonna call on so and so. I said, Okay, that'll be fun, because we have cousins there. If they weren't home, we'd go call on somebody else. We'd go to one of our friends' house who also had other kids. I think my parents just wanted a break. Because they knew if there would be kids there, we'd go play and the adults could have some adult conversation. But we'd go calling on people. We never picked up the phone ahead of time. We didn't have cell phones or any of that kind of stuff. You just showed up, knocked on people's door. Hey, what's going on? Oh, we're just about ready to have dinner. Oh, good. <laughs> and they'd say, Come on, we got plenty for everybody. And we'd come in and we'd eat dinner with them, right? And they loved it, and we loved it. It was fun. I think my parents kind of knew where to go where we were accepted because we were three boys that fought all the time. Anyway, uh, so we'd go calling, but we intentionally were seeking the presence. We wanted their presence. We wanted to be in their company. That's the other thing, the other word that we use a lot is company. We're having, peop- we're having company over. Having company over for dinner. We're, gonna be, we're intentionally being in the presence of people. This is why we had small groups for people to be intentionally having company or calling on people. But those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We got to get back to calling on the Lord first. Some of us, the first call that we make is to our friends. When things go wrong, we call a few friends or we post it on Facebook. I'm so sick and tired of seeing stuff on Facebook that needs to be taken care of with the Lord trying to take care of it in an open forum instead of going to the Lord in private, going into your prayer closet and seeking the Lord. Some of us are using our friends to be our therapists. And you're dropping your trauma on people that aren't designed to be therapists. They're designed to be your friend. And you're putting the whole thing on them And you're hurting your friendship because they don't know how to carry the things that you're dealing with. You might be able to give them a little piece of it. You might be able to give them a high level. But you might have to go see a trained therapist for some of those things. But first of all, before we go to the therapist, we call on the name of the Lord for us to be delivered and be saved. And so... I'm saying this to you prophetically because of some of the things that I sense in my spirit. Remember the dream I had six, eight months ago about the house that was on fire? Did anybody remember that? Maybe you didn't. But I had a prophetic dream. It was very clear to me. And I knew it was symbolic of what was going to be happening in our world. And when I saw this, I'm not going to go into detail about it, I just knew that the Lord was leading and guiding and directing me and showing me what to do when problems happen. Because I call on him. And it's time for all of us to call on the Lord so that he can prepare us for things that are to come. Because I'll tell you this, when all hell breaks loose in your life or in your community or in your country or in your world, when all hell breaks loose, you're either going to call on the name of the Lord or you're gonna run away from the God of fear. So we need to get in the habit of going to the Lord first, calling on his name and allow him to be savior. Have you cast him into the role of savior yet? Have you cast him into the Lord, uh, the role of peace, peace giver? Have you cast him into the role of wisdom teacher? Have you cast him into the role of first contact? Have you cast him into the role of never leaving you, never forsaking you? It's time to do so. And upon that rock, Jesus will build his church. And the gates of hell will not be able to hold you out from that living water because he's been trying to keep you from dipping into that holy water, that refreshing water of life that will give you the strength to get through any problem that this world can ever throw at you. Some of you are going to be amazed at some of the challenges that come to your way that how easy you sail through the darkest moments because you've been calling on the Lord. You've been going to visit him on a regular basis. In the morning, call on him in the evening, call on him. In the troubles, call on him. In the, in the good experiences, call on him. With your kids, call on him. And as you shift the role that you you place God into, you watch. If you call on the God, the God that is here to be your Messiah. The God that is here to deliver you from all your enemies, the God that is here to take you away from fear, you watch. The greater one that lives within you is gonna rise up in ways like never before. And so I ask you today, who do you say he is? Who do you say Jesus is? Would you bow your head and just receive this prayer? In fact, all around this room, If you're here today and you realize some of the ways that you've cast God into different roles isn't working very well. Some of you have God cast into a role of being an angry father because your dad was angry. Some of you have him cast into a role that shows favorites because you never seem to get blessed so you see God as a God that picks and chooses. Or you see God as a God who gets mad every time you do something wrong. Every time he looks at you, he's disgusted or mad because he, he knows what you've got going on. And so you don't see him as Lord and Savior. You see him as judge, convictor, Punisher, the way that you know that this is true is because if you're the type of person that every time bad things start happening to you, maybe two, three times in a row, you start going, God, what have I done wrong? It's an unhealthy view of God, guys. It's just like the pagans at the gates of Hades, Hades, thinking that when the waters didn't come up right, when things didn't flow the way that they should, that they were cursed. So they sacrificed their children when it didn't go their way. Will you call on him in a new role? If you're here today and you realize, man, I don't have him cast in a good role and I need to cast him in as Lord and Savior of my heart. All around this room, if that's you, would you just slip your hand up and you realize today is the day. Okay, I see your hands. Anybody else? Okay, bless you. Anybody else? Just keep it up real bold, real high. I'm not gonna have you stand in front of anybody or anything. I'm just going to acknowledge you right here. See your hands over there. Yep. Okay. Anybody else? Okay. Awesome. Anybody else? All right. Awesome. Okay. Here's what I'd like you to do. Would you all around the room? Would you all stand up? Okay. And would you would you pray with me? In fact, let's all pray. Let's all readjust our casting of the role, and let's begin to cast Jesus into that source of wisdom that we need. Let's cast him into that heart of compassion that we need. Let's cast him into that way of living, the truth to live by, the life that we are all looking for. Let's put him in charge of that. Can we do that? Can we put him in as provider and healer? Can we put him in as the father that loves and forgives quickly and cares about his son and his daughters? Can we do that? Would you repeat this after me? Everybody in the room right now. Heavenly Father, we come and receive you. We receive Jesus as our Lord, the ruler of our hearts, our emotions, our thinking, our ways of being, our actions. We pray, God, you'd forgive us of our sins, cleanse us from unrighteousness, and restore our souls. Give us a vision for our future. Give us a hope for the future. Give us endurance. Give us the wisdom we need and the heart of compassion that we need for others. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Now, some of you never prayed a prayer like that ever. Our prayer partners are going to be down here, and we'd love to give you a little book that will help you get started with that. If you just come down and just say, hey, I need one of those books, they'll be here. They'll give you one of those, and uh, and you can go through that book, and you can, you can follow along in there, answer the questions, and, and read along, and it'll, it'll really help you get started. It'll be awesome. Some of you also are here today, and you didn't raise your hand, But you know some things are out of whack in your life and you just need a a prophetic prayer of encouragement and regrouping that will help you get back on the right track. But listen, for all of us, let's all get to that place where we're calling on the name of the Lord on a regular basis and we'll be ready to say who we say he is at any time in Jesus' name. Get ready for the greatest year we've ever had. I believe this is gonna be the greatest year we've ever had. Awesome. God bless you, have a great Sunday. Come forward for prayer if you need it.